0: This third installment of hashtag business of afcon collaboration between the africa football business show and the africa business of sport podcast as always i have my two fellow co-hosts who have been with me throughout this fascinating series first of all the founder and ceo of the football foundation for africa brian wasala brian how are you doing I'm doing good,
1: job Congratulations, the Bafana Bafana.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you for mentioning that, Brian. <laughs> and my co-host on the Africa Business of Sport podcast, Adam Spio. Adam, how are you doing, sir?
2: Uh, blessed and highly favored. Really looking forward to this conversation and to really disseminate all the information that we have there. And of course, also go Bafana Bafana. Now that Egypt is out, they are my team to win the competition. Lovely. Oh,
0: great to hear. So as you just alluded to a bit Adam, today we're going to delve into a fascinating topic. And this is the intriguing intersection of international relations and football diplomacy, focusing specifically on the captivating stories that have emerged from the Africa Cup of Nations. So as the tournament kicked off on the 13th of January, our attention was drawn to the fascinating phenomenon of stadium diplomacy employed by nation states such as China. The Alasenwatara Stadium in Abidjan, for example, serves as a prime example of China's strategic influence in Africa where state-owned ent- entities like the Beijing Institute of Architectural Design and the Beijing Construction Engineering Group play a crucial role. However, China isn't the only player in this game. Enter Saudi Arabia with its ambitious plan to position itself as an Afro-Eurasian hub of international football. From bidding for the 2034 World Cup to becoming the main sponsor of the African Football League, Saudi Arabia definitely has made significant strides. So on this episode today, we and a special guest that we are going to announce and introduce to you very soon, we're going to explore the motivations and the consequences behind these football diplomacy endeavours questioning the implication for African nations and the global power dynamics at play. So let us unravel this complex web of economic, political and strategic interests in football arenas within Africa. Brian, we have known for a very long time how intertwined sports and politics has been not only in Africa but all across the globe but love to start off this episode by asking you what is your position on nation-states, whether that be from Africa or from around the world, and governments as well, being involved in sports? And what motivations do you think are at play there?
1: Uh, Jabu, I have to say, um, I think I'll quote uh, one uh, friend, Goran Eriksson, he once said that there's more politics in football than in politics itself. So uh, I think uh, football just lent itself to to politics, and I don't think this is a... An issue. I think sometimes we tend to um, castigate this issue, uh, looking at it from a negative uh, perspective. But if you look at the real definition of uh, of, of politics, what is politics? Politics is how people uh, negotiate uh, for for resources, and sports is one area that needs resources to be invested in. So how do how do uh, people in the sports sector, in the football sector, uh, use politics to negotiate for, for resources. In this case, Africa finds itself in a position where people are really interested in the game, but beyond just the game, people are interested in Africa's natural uh, resources. So how does the continent position itself so that it benefits from the geopolitical playground uh, in this case? because at the end of the day there is no way we are able going to separate sports football from politics what i see is a few spheres of life sports politics religion that come together from time to time to interact so how do we harness that for our progress hopefully to hear more about this uh, in the show thank you jacko
0: adam you were on cnn a couple of months ago and you spoke about the economic impact of AFCON being hosted in a certain host nation. And one of the main points that you put out there was around stadium development. Now, from my perspective, uh, watching that, I thought that you meant stadium development in the sense that local individuals from Ivory Coast would be the ones going and building those stadiums. So when we now hear of news and reports, which are completely true about, for example, the Chinese Chinese state-owned companies coming in build some of these stadiums not only for Ivory Coast AFCON but reaching all the way back to the Gabon and Equatorial Guinea FCON in 2012 as well as the 2015 AFCON which was also in Gabon where the Chinese state has a huge role in building the stadiums what is your position on that and what implication that I have on the economic impact ultimately if we're not having the employment go to people on the ground but rather from outside companies?
2: It's always important to look at it from two lenses. The first lens which majority of people tend to focus on is the lens where they would say that, um, you know, would rather give big contracts for development to externals because of the mentality towards how they'll get their job done and the mentality towards how it can even develop more um, bilateral agreements for other initiatives beyond even the the immediate project. But the truth of the reality is that more often than not, we see that the end products of these infrastructure, whether it's um, Stadia, it's training sites, it's um, conference sites and whatnot, the end product is of a high quality. They do a really good job. And you'd want to spend your money on people and entities that when you come to them and say, I need A, B, C, and D done, they will get it done and get it done with the highest quality. So what is important for here in Africa is that brands on the continent that are into the same industry whether for you it is in construction or it is in procurement you should be able to take the lessons learned by these external brands somewhat copy what they have and add your own unique factor to make you very let's say competitive in the market so off the top of my head let's say with a six stadia that have been built or made ready for this AFCON one of them, um, a local contractor, maybe contributed to 15% of the development of that stadium. If now they're able to look at what was done with their Chinese or their international com- counterparts and learn from how they do things, for, for instance, for the, or perhaps for the next competition that will be held there, whether it's football-related or any other sport, they can come in and say, we've learned from these guys, we've upgraded our services and our products, and we believe that we can be well-placed to take on such projects moving forward. So it's important to appreciate, yeah, the external help that comes through. But African brands need to learn from the external guys with what they are doing. Because we can't argue for the fact that they have been doing it for a very long time. And they'll probably continue to do it if the African brands do not step up their game. That is how I see things, you know, from a, 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 a development point of view moving forward. We can't say we're going to stop partnership with these external brands. We need them because there are times where they also benefit from us. But African brands, like I'll say again, need to make sure you learn from your international counterparts and make yourself much more lucrative moving forward for subsequent projects to come.
0: Let us move on to the second segment of our conversation and we are going to introduce a leading academic when it comes to the geopolitical economy of sports, everything that has to do with politics, international relations and the sports that we love so much. It's an honour and privilege to have on the Business of AFCON, Professor of Sports and Geopolitical Economy at Schema Business School in Paris, Professor Simon Chadwick.
3: Prof, welcome on to the hashtag Business of AFCON. Great to have you here. Again, again, this is not my first time, so thanks for inviting me back. I must have done an okay job first time. (laughs) absolutely thank you so for being here prof i mean let's go straight into
0: it we read many of your articles covering the fascinating stories when it comes to geopolitics and african football and let us start with china because that is the main perspective in which we enter this conversation could you elaborate on this concept of stadium diplomacy and how it fits into china's broader Galton Road Initiative, particularly in context of the cons that took place in Gabon and the one currently taking place in Ivory Coast.
3: Before I answer that, I I think it's really important to to, to stress that somehow we're saying this is China or Saudi Arabia. What we know historically, and let's talk about the British Empire straight away, is, is the way which the British Empire used sport for a variety of different purposes. Across various territories, um, what we're seeing is, if not the same thing, then certainly something that is very similar to. So this this is not not just all about China. It's it's about other other countries as well. But I guess fundamentally, China is uh, China is an interesting country. What we know is, over the last thirty years, it has reached um, stunning levels of economic growth. Sometimes double digit economic growth. This is really important domestically because essentially what it does is it brings stability because if people are living well, if they're prospering, then you're less likely to question the government. And obviously, China has an autocratic government. It's unelected. But of course, to sustain that kind of economic performance, you need resources. And most notably, you need raw materials. We know that manufacturing in China is... is um, is, is strong and diverse. They're making all kinds of things from phone batteries to, you know, to steel, to all, you know, computer screens, all kinds of things. And, and where do we find the resources that they need? Well, those resources are, are in Africa. Um, I guess at this point, we need to say it's not just all about football and stadiums either, because I'm sure a lot of people who are watching this now will know about the Belt and Road Initiative. And they will realise that that uh, China has been very active now in, in 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 Africa for a decade or more, engaged in bilateral trade, and so essentially what China is doing, and if we come back specifically to stadiums, is you know, we'll build you a stadium in return for. Um, my 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 first degree is economics, and year one, day one, lecture one, we were told there's no such thing as a free lunch. And, uh, and I think, you know, in this particular case, it, it's it's not a case of China saying, say, well, well, we'll buy your raw materials because what, they, what they're what they trying to do is to use stadiums and stadium diplomacy as a means through which to access those resources, but also to access those resources on an ongoing basis, but also as a, as a result of that agreement, because essentially that's creating an interdependence. And what we know is when there are interdependencies involved, there are, there is power involved. And what I think China is trying to do, and and this is not meant to be a criticism of, of China specifically, or anyone, but China is trying to accumulate power in Africa and to to influence the decisions that are made across the continent.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll shoot straight up. So how, how does how does Africa and African countries make sure that uh, uh, they, they get a good deal from these uh, outpouring of uh, of chinese diplomacy and by extension other countries that are interested in the continent
3: that's a really interesting question brian and i and i think just to to link it to the previous question is there are essentially two ways this happens so the first way is is the gifting of venues so in other words you know here it is we'll build it for you We'll, we'll design it for you but we'll build it for you it's yours um But inevitably, that is very often linked to trade relationships, bilateral trade relationships. And I've listened to you talking about Gabon. Gabon was a great example because at the time that that, um, it was announced that China would build uh, stadiums for Gabon, um, the late President Bongo was was actually in Beijing signing a major trade deal. So uh, Gabon became an elevated um, trade partner of China. So There there is that kind of bilateralism involving trade in the gifting of stadiums. But the second way in which this happens is is through the provision of soft loans. And soft loans are loans provided by China at significantly below market rates of interest. And this is particularly interesting because this is a strategy that is used by China across the world. And, And certainly in, for example, Sri Lanka, we've seen instances of, um, countries and governments that have borrowed money from China and then have defaulted on their their repayments back to China. and and as a consequence of that, China has taken possession of the asset, even though it's in Sri Lanka. And I think this is something that Africa has to be mindful of. But looking at this positively, what 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 Africa gets and African countries get from China is obviously stadium infrastructure that can be utilized across a period of years but also stability in trade relationships that uh, that perhaps they're not, that African nations don't get from elsewhere. The downside is, of course, is you know, China may seek to exert its power. We've talked already. Um, you know, so certainly in constructing stadiums, it seems to be that the high quality employment that is created by stadium constructions uh, attracts Chinese employees. The much lower, lower quality, unskilled uh, work, very often laborers. Yes, that is that is um, local workers who would do that. But of course, the the significance of the, uh, the the legacy is is much less pronounced. So, I guess the conclusion to make is obviously there's a choice for African nations to make. It's a mixed picture. Picture there are good things, there are good reasons to work with China, but equally there are problems and issues as well. Prof, my question to you is, in
2: noticing, like you just said perfectly, that African nations would have to make a decision at one point in time, I'm asking, is there a ceiling where Africa can get so much development from China where we can reach a point and we say that, you know what, for everything that we potentially need, you've already provided for us and we have now developed our capability to handle those things that you built for us. So we don't necessarily need you anymore. I ask this particularly with sports because we see that some of the very best world events barely happen in Africa. If it's not the AFCON, you would not have the Olympics coming here. You would not have the World Cup coming here regularly. You would not have the Women's World Cup coming here regularly. And other top events as such. I mean, there's still no... Top Grand Slam coming from Africa, although we do have places that you can, you know, build a, a a high a high quality tennis facility. So, is there a ceiling where we can get and say, we know what we're done, and we're going to move forward with the developments for ourselves? So, yeah, it's like listen on a scale of one If at first China was a nine point five with regards to relevance, it reduces to maybe a four point
3: five to regards to relevance now. I think you're probably talking to the wrong European um, because uh, for me, I think Africa in this moment, Africa is in an amazing place. And you know, I get, I get a growing sense of God. there could be genuine change across the continent over the next decade. And so this requires African nations to, to take control much more of their own destinies and and to be, efficient and effective and, and to make good decisions and demonstrate good leadership. So, you know, you, there are some challenges for you, but you know, your time is now we know that economic growth rates across the continent are, um, much more robust than we see, for example, in Europe and North America. And, and, and so there is some potential there for, I think industry in general, but particularly the sport industry and, and, and the football industry in particular to, to develop and grow. Um, but at the same time and it's interesting again I listen to your talk globalization and international trade you know we're all part of this you know this is not unique to Africa we're all part of this but I think you know I, I'm, I'm really interested to see Africa begin to shape its relationships with the rest of the world rather than simply being recipients of the you know if you like of the altruism of others um, and this this brings me to China because, I speak to people from across Africa on a regular basis, and, and, and opinion seems to be divided. And and one one school of thought is well, you know, the Chinese are doing a lot more for us than you ever did. Um, you know, they they're doing a lot more for us than 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 um, than Europe and North America do, are doing right now. So why shouldn't we work with them? And certainly, if you you listen to what the Chinese government and government departments will will say, they will say, well, yeah, you know, we're doing this as as a bilateral partnership we're not seeking to exploit we're not seeking to exert power it's it's an example of bilateralism but the second the, the other school the other extreme the other school of of, thought, of course is that somehow this is an, this is a form of neo-colonialism and that effectively what what african nations are doing is is they're essentially selling themselves into a an, is, a, a, an asymmetric relationship with china where China's got lots of power and the, the African nation's got relatively little power and, and therefore China gets what it wants without Africa getting what what it wants. So as I say, I, I think yeah, I, I come back to choices and I know there are constraints and I know there are issues. I know there are challenges, obstacles to, to, to address, but I do think that, that Africa is in a really interesting position right now and it, and it does need to con- take control of its own destiny. Prof. Saudi Arabia seems to
0: be emerging as a strategic rival to China in the realm of football diplomacy in Africa. So, our question here is: How does Saudi Arabia's approach differ from China's, and what potential economic and geopolitical implications might arise from Saudi's increasing involvement in African football and sports in general?
3: So, again, if I if I tie it to the last question and go back in in into the the, the um the webinar initially, uh. What do they want from you? They they do want oil and they want gas, but they also want lithium and they want cobalt, they want manganese. Um, I'm in I'm, I'm in Europe right now. I'm, I'm in Britain right now. We don't have it. You you've got it. We don't. So you know, we, we, with digital the the, the emergence of, of digital technologies and and mobile phones and then obviously electric cars and you know there will be other forms of of technology that require those raw materials. This is why I think we're now seeing. A very interesting pivot from global north to global south, and that's why I make this this statement about Africa is a re, in a really interesting position um, right now. Now, this is not just a, a China story; it's a Saudi Arabia story as well. So, you know, let me give you an example. So, Saudi Arabia wants to become the world's leading processor of lithium, and right now in Zimbabwe, I mean, for any listeners who are from Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe is being called Lithium Valley. Because Zimbabwe has lots of lithium, and we're already beginning to see Saudi Arabian investors investing generally in, in Zimbabwe's lithium industry. Now, again, you know this is this is, is going to throw the ball up to, to Zimbabwe government. You know, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to manage it? Are you going to make sure the whole country benefits? Are you going to make sure that Saudi Arabia doesn't dominate in it? It's a symmetric power relationship. But what I think is really significant about all of this is is that. Saudi Arabia we are seeing not just in in Zimbabwe but uh, you know in other countries too Mauritania is another example is investing in sport, investing in football in a similar kind of sport diplomacy Now what's really interesting is is um if you go back to this time last year when the stories first emerged that uh, Saudi Arabia wanted to bid for the 2030 World Cup. And the initial the initial play was it would be uh, an Afro-Eurasian World Cup, so it would be Egypt, Greece, and, uh, and Saudi Arabia, and there were even reports that Saudi Arabia had offered to build the infrastructure for for Egypt and Greece to host the tournament, and so we are you know, we we are seeing that that Saudi Arabia in its quest to be a, an a certainly an Asian power, but I mean maybe an Afro-Eurasian power in the same way as China. Is already spilling over into uh, in, in, into football, and I guess the the, the the kind of crucial crucial detail on this is just across the Red Sea. You know, Saudi Arabia looks at Africa, and and so you know the Red Sea. What happens in the Red Sea? What's happening in the in, in the Gulf region and the Middle East more generally right now? The investments that Saudi Arabia is making making in football, the relationships that Saudi Arabia wants to have with the African football league, for example. All of these things are connected and this is very much about Saudi Arabia making its play and trying to create the same kind of bilateral relations as China has done.
1: How is, how is Europe responding to, to all this, uh, this shift towards uh, the, the, the Middle East now and uh, specifically uh, Saudi Arabia? And since this is all connected, then how does, how does this change the relationship that we have traditionally had with Europe when it comes to football and sports in general?
3: Anthony Blinken was at the African cup of nations. Can you believe it? You know, who would have imagined that, that an American a senior American politician would go to Ivory coast to watch a football game. Maybe I should be calling it a soccer game. I don't know. Well, yeah, I went to, I went to Ivory coast to watch a football game. This is like unheard of, right? What's really interesting is the, the Chinese foreign minister was also in Ivory coast to watch some football as well. So, you know, I think it, 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 tells us how important football is how important ivory coast is at this moment but how important africa is more generally because as we know we, we live in and we live in a really complex really turbulent world all of those old certain things that we knew back in the 20th century um they, they're gradually eroding and we are seeing different countries from around the world ascending in their power. Partly because they've got resources, for example, we've we mentioned African nations already. And so I, I, I think that, that what we, we are seeing generally across the world is sport being used for, for, um, for soft power purposes, sub-sport being used for diplomacy, um, sport being used to nation brand uh, sport being used to sport wash, if we want to use that term, to, to manage... Im- I prefer to talk about managing image and reputation. But if you think about um, you know, if you think about sport, if you think about football, I think about English Premier League in terms of nation branding, Premier League in England, you think about sports administration, immediately Switzerland. And what I think is really interesting in, in Africa is that our opportunities in Africa... You know, for the biggest and best football league, the most commercial football league, the administrative hub of of of, of African football, and so on and so forth. So, I, I think what what Africa shouldn't do, it shouldn't be afraid of this. It shouldn't be it shouldn't run shy of this. The time has come. You got to step up. And so we really we you know we really need to see some really interesting uh, football brands in Africa. We we need to see some really interesting. Examples of good practice in the governance of of African football, fantastic events being staged, maybe in Morocco, twenty thirty, for example. So it's over to you guys. You're the next generation of leaders and managers. So you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a big onus of responsibility on you.
2: Hopefully, our generation and those to come after us will really just take the the good things of the geopolitical nature of sports, and you know move it forward to develop things, you mentioned ethics and running things very well from a governance point of view. Perhaps maybe a partnership or a relationship, a solid relationship with Saudi can enable us to really train our administrators to become a bit more ethical in their dealings. So that can be a soft benefit that isn't seen as a, as a physical or a quantitative return on investment. I particularly would really like to see A situation where here in African sports, all our administrators, our leaders, our presidents, CEOs are really doing things from a very ethical point of view where we can see that if it's money coming through, the money is being allocated for all these things and it's done the way. And if it's um, like resources coming through, it's being used for the right things at the end of the day it's the incoming athletes that will benefit if things are done well.
3: So I, I didn't kind of answer the, the last question properly. Um, you know, if you, if you look at Africa's last one hundred years, you know we, we know how that was. We 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 know what it involved. We know that Africa didn't develop in the way that that it probably should have done. And here we are now in the twenty first century, where the world is being turned upside down. So there is a, a pivot from global north to global south. And what it seems to me, at least as a European, is, is you're getting countries and their governments like Saudi Arabia coming to you and saying, well, work with us you know, and let's do things in a different way. And let's try and be more bilateral in the way we go about our business. That takes me back to, to a point I made about symmetric power and asymmetric power. And what you've got to make sure as a continent is is that it's symmetric power, so that you know Saudi Arabia is not exploiting you, and, and China is not exploiting you. That it is truly egalitarian and bilateral. So you give a little, they give a little, and you move forward on that basis. But certainly, if we're thinking about Saudi Arabia, you know, Saudi Arabia is making you an offer that nobody else is going to make you. Or, you know, certainly not Europe or the United States is going to make you right now. And so, obviously, a decision politically, geopolitically, you have to make that decision about. You know, do you shift some of your alliances, your historic alliances away from you know, away from the United States, away from Britain, uh, you know, away from other centers of power, towards these new centers of power that we're seeing emerging countries like China and Saudi Arabia? And that is the end of this installment
0: of the hashtag business of AFCON, delving into the geopolitics, international relations, China's role in this AFCON, what we think of Saudi Arabia and what they're doing in African football was none other than Professor Simon Chadwick. Prof, it's been a fascinating episode, very
3: eye-opening. Thank you for coming on and hopefully we'll have you back very soon. Thank you for inviting me as always. I I always love talking about, uh, about particularly football in Africa, Africa in general, but particularly football in Africa. Love that. Please do follow
0: the Football Foundation for Africa on Twitter, they are at if if Africa on LinkedIn. You can find them at Football Foundation for Africa, Africa Business of Sport Podcast. You can find us on X at Africa BSP on Instagram at Africa Business of Sports and on LinkedIn at the Africa Business of Sport Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this third installment of the hashtag Business of Afcon and we hope to see you again next week very soon. Cheers for now.